It tells the story of the financial crisis of 2008 and following and how it came to be. And there's this one scene in the movie in particular where you see what a crook one of these guys was behind, all, behind the scenes on all of this mess. In the scene, you have the main character, a guy named Mark Baum, who's played by Steve Carell. And he's sitting down with this fellow who's called a CDO manager. You don't need to know what a CDO manager is, but suffice it to say, he's one of these guys right at the heart of the matter. And in this one moment, Mark Baum, Steve Carell, realizes how everything is going to collapse. See, he's talking to this guy who presumably is uh, on the side of the investors. He's on the side of the people. That's his job. He's the guy who represents the folks who are putting in their money in order to hopefully make a good investment. But as he talks with this guy, he realizes, wait a second, wait a second. So you're telling me you receive your pay from the banks, that the banks provide an office for you, that they send clients your way, and yet you represent the investors. He says, yeah, that's right. How could this possibly be? He says, well, you know, we've got an office. It's not in the bank. It's in a separate place. It's like, oh, really? And that's better. He says, yeah, but we have a helicopter provided by the bank, which gets us there when we need to be. And in that moment, Mark Baum, Steve Carell's character, realizes, wait a second. There's crooks all the way down behind this whole scene. All of these middlemen who are on the take are going to destroy this economy. <coughs> Let there be no doubt that the bells will continue. <laughs> oh, <my word. clears throat> That's all right. That's all right. Ken's going to help us out there. <clears throat> so when you hear today's gospel, why do I tell you this story? I'm not going to get into the minutia of financial crises. That's kind of above my pay grade. We've got some guys here who can help you better with that. I tell you that because when we hear today's gospel and this parable that Jesus tells, you can't help but hear it and think, what a crook. And this is one of the strangest, most difficult parables that Jesus tells, isn't it? Maybe the most difficult. And you wonder, what in the world is going on here? And why does Jesus even tell us about this? There's a rich man, he says, and he's got a manager, a steward. And what is the job of this steward? Well, one author says that this guy is what you might call a rent seeker. Okay. Now, what's a rent seeker? A rent seeker is a middleman. He's a guy that you have to go through if you want to do business with the boss. And he's a guy who, because of his position, is able to feather his own bed as much as he can get away with. But as Jesus tells the story, we find out that evidently this particular rent seeker, this middleman, tried to get away with too much, right? He was getting a little bit too greedy. And however it happens, word gets back to the boss. You know, I imagine that this guy, he was probably showing up riding in a Benz when he was only getting jalopy wages, right? <laughs> He's wearing a fur coat instead of a ski parka, something like that. Well, however it happens, eventually word gets back to his boss. Hey. This uh, stooge of yours has been squandering your estate. 
And so what's the boss to do? He calls him into his office and summarily fires him. Hand in the account of your management. You are done. All right, so what is this poor sap going to do? Well, he's only been a desk jockey his whole life, and so manual labor is out for him, right? And he's too proud to beg. He's not like the temptations. Ain't too proud to beg. I'm not going to start singing. I'm tempted. He's too proud to beg. And so what's he going to do? Well, crooked is as crooked does, you might say. He's going to fall back, evidently, on the same stuff that he has always done. Scheming and conniving. So he calls in all of his master's debtors. One by one, one by one, he calls them in. And you wonder, how could he even be doing this? Hasn't word already spread that this guy is, is fired? Well, you don't need me to tell you. This is before the age of Twitter, okay? And so word has not yet gotten around that his management has been taken from him. He might formally be fired, but functionally, he still has his authority in the eyes of all of the master's debtors. So he calls these guys in one by one, and he, he says to him, hey, how, how much did I tell you that you owed my boss? Uh, $1,000. Okay, yeah, that's right. Uh, go ahead and let's just cross that out and write 500. Then another guy comes in, how, how much did I tell you that you owed my boss? Uh, well, 10,000. That's right, 10,000. Okay, why don't we make that 8,000? And on and on it goes, one by one. He's taking the record of debt that all of these debtors have, and he's crossing it out, taking away from what they owed. Now, you hear this, you read this, and by all accounts, this dastardly devil is doubling down on his deviousness. <laughs> Try that five times fast. <clears throat> Or is he? Clearly, this is a parable. This is a story about how not to be a crook. Or is it? Don't be so sure. See, here's what we expect to happen at this point. What we expect to happen after he has done this with all of the master's debtors is for the master to catch wind of this and for him to be royally chuffed that he now has to deal some more with this disgraced manager, that he's got to call this guy in one more time. And he does. And he says, you know what? I was a little bit too nice last time. And now he is going to read this guy the riot act. He is going to say to him, you know what? You're not just fired, but now I'm going to bring up charges against you. That's right. You're going to jail. Actually, maybe that's not even enough. Maybe I'm just going to pound you right here and now, you little weasel. That's what you might expect is going to happen. But that's not what happens. Instead, the boss blesses this crook. In Jesus' words, he, he puts it this way, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. I said, what? commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. And in point of fact, even that word shrewdness has too negative a connotation. The same word is used elsewhere in the Gospels. For example, in the, the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. You remember that one? The same word is used of the wise virgins. It's not that this guy is being shrewd, that he's being commended for his shrewdness even. He's being commended for his wisdom. 
The boss brings him in and says to him, ah, my beautiful boy, how you have done well in your wisdom. What in the world? How could this possibly be? Well, there's one more detail that you need to know, a little bit of of cultural background. And I've sort of alluded to it already, but I think we need to make it explicit. See, I told you how this guy was a rent seeker, how he's a middleman, somebody who's skimming the cream off of the top, right? Well, so here's what he's been doing. When he calls those debtors in one by one, And imagine the boss had said to him, okay, boss, he asked the boss, how much do we want for such and such thing? The boss says, well, 500 is what we need. And then this guy, the middleman, would go and say, well, how about if I can get 1,000, right? So that now, when he goes, and one by one, he's forgiving the debt of all of those debtors. Who is he taking from now? Is he taking from his boss? No. Is he taking from the debtors? No. Who is he cutting out when he does that? He's cutting out himself. In other words, he's sacrificing his golden parachute. (laughs) The opportunity that he had to continue to feather his own bed into the future. Now he is sacrificing that very opportunity in a way that actually serves his debtors and his boss. Now I know what you're going to say. Well, yeah, pastor, but still, this guy isn't exactly a hero, okay? He's not doing this out of some altruistic reason. He's just trying to make sure that he's going to be cared for into the future, and I grant you that. But stay with me for a moment. You've got to remember something. You've got to remember something, that when Jesus tells these parables, when he tells these stories, so often as he tells the story, he'll include all sorts of outrageous, hyperbolic details simply to zero in on the heart of the matter. I'll give you an example from later in the Gospel of Luke, a couple chapters later in Luke 18. Jesus tells the story of an unrighteous judge. He says, this judge neither feared God nor respected man. But there was a widow who kept coming to the judge and knocking on the door and saying, hey, hey, give me justice against my adversary. And the judge says, don't bother me. You know, I'm doing my fantasy football over here. Leave me alone. He doesn't want to have anything to do with her, but the woman keeps coming. Hey, give me justice. Give me justice, Jesus says. And eventually, the judge thinks to himself, even though I neither fear God nor respect man, I guess I'll give this widow justice just so she stops bothering me. And Jesus says, in effect, this is what God is like. If you keep bothering him, he'll answer your prayers. You think, wait, what? God is an unrighteous judge who's kind of annoyed with us, and if we keep bothering him, he'll give us what we want? No, that's not the point, see? Jesus includes all of these vivid, outrageous details to get down to the heart of the matter, which in that parable is what? Keep persisting in prayer. Keep seeking the Father. He will give you justice. You with me? So in this story, in this outrageous parable, what's the heart of the matter here? And we strip all the other things away. Well, in this case, the heart of the matter is this. Faced with a desperate, dire situation, a man gives up his own for the sake of others. He sacrifices himself 
and forgives his debtors. He's a middleman, a mediator between his boss and between all of those debtors. That's the heart of the story. And when you put it that way, it sounds a little bit different, doesn't it? In that case, this parable starts to sound not so much like it's about a criminal or how not to be a criminal. By the way, for the record, you shouldn't be a criminal. It starts to sound instead like this is a story about Christ and who he is for you and for me. See, this is what Jesus has done for you and me. Colossians 2 puts it this way, that the Lord has forgiven all of your trespasses, that he has crossed out your record of debt, nailing it to the cross, so that now you are no longer in arrears in the heavenly economy, see? And Psalm 103 says this, Psalm 103 says that God doesn't deal with you and me as our sins deserve, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Do you ever get this sense? Do you ever get this sense that maybe the other shoe is going to drop on you? That maybe all of those bad things that you've done, yeah, God loves you, yeah, he forgives you, but maybe at some point it's all going to catch up to you and you're going to get what you deserve. Hear me now. When Christ Jesus goes to the cross, he finishes all of it. Your sins are buried six feet under, never to rise again, unlike the one who died to forgive your sins. All of your iniquities dealt with, both now and in eternity. Christ Jesus is the one who has paid that debt on your behalf. For your sins, he gives forgiveness. For your guilt, he gives grace. And for your bane and blame, he gives blessing. Can I get an amen? amen? Jesus is the one who offered himself up as the all-availing ransom to the Father. He is the one mediator, the one, med the one middleman between God and man who forever lives to intercede for you and me and says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, who lives to bury those sins forever and to bury you with his grace and love and forgiveness each and every day, and it knows no end. And you might be with me at this point and you might say, well, but pastor, this seems kind of crazy. You're, you're saying that Jesus would forgive even thieves? Well, think back now. Who's the very first one who the Lord leads home? It's a thief on the cross. There's a, a Christian musician by the name of Michael Card, and he has this lovely song just simply called Why. And in this song, he asks, why was it? Why was it that uh, the Lord had to be betrayed? Why was it that all of his friends forsook him? And why was it that he had to wear this crown of thorns and be nailed on a cross between two thieves? And then the song goes on to say this. It was a cross, for on a cross a thief was supposed to pay. And Jesus had come into the world to steal every heart away. And I'll just leave you with this. I find this suggestive, and you can take it for, for what it's worth. I find it appropriate that another word 
or the word crook has another meaning. It's the staff that a shepherd carries. And there's some evidence that, the Latin, that it's connected to the Latin word crux, which means cross. So that on the cross, the good shepherd, your savior, takes his crook and gathers up every wayward sheep, gathers up every crooked sinner into his kingdom. The father desires that all shall be saved, and the son goes to that crook in order to claim each and every one for his kingdom, to gather them in to say, you belong to me, but I owe all this debt, but look at all the things that I've done wrong. And Jesus says, I've paid it in full. Your debt is removed. Your sin has been taken care of. You belong to me. There is nothing that you can do to step separate me, to separate yourself from my love. As far as the east is from the west, so far are your sins and transgressions removed from you because the Father has sent his Son who has taken the crook of his cross in order to deal with it in full. What a redemption. What a Savior. What a crook. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.